is wonderful. So tonight we have our guest with us all the way from Israel, uh, David Tao. Please come on up. There is the yellow bus. You know those. <laughs> These are your bus. Are you all back there? These are the people that rode in David's bus, in case you're wondering who's standing. That's the Balagan bus. That's the, the Balagan bus? <laughs> Come on around, that's your seat right there. Let's go this Whichever way. Whichever way you want to go. It's wonderful having you here, David. We're going to have a great time tonight. And uh, as we noted this morning, if you were here, David is a retired major of the IDF Israeli Defense Force. You were a tank commander. Still it? Still are. Well, I mean, I got the no. I got the abilities and the capabilities. I don't have a tank, though. Yeah. Do you know Krav Maga? Yep. Could you beat me up? Yep. Totally. You want to try it here? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to try you. <laughs> How easy do you think I'd be able to do a, you'd be able to take me out? If I didn't have a bad back. And if you were not a couple of years older, and you were not a couple of years... If I wasn't okay. a couple of years older than you... Well, if I didn't I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting slower, so I mean, it would be a slow motion kind of uh, exercise, but yes. I think I'd still pull it off. I'm not going to test. No, not today. No, not today. <laughs> Probably not tomorrow either. Well, so, so uh, David, it's been great having you here. I'm going to pray, right. and we're going to get started. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity with David, the opportunity that we've had with him this week and me personally and some of the other churches and places he, he's been able to minister. We ask that you have blessed our time here tonight and grant him traveling mercies as he goes back home to be with his wife tomorrow. Uh, grant him a safe trip and a great trip back home. But again, we thank you. Bless our time here now. And for all of those who are watching uh, via the internet, Lord, minister to them through our time together too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a lot to talk about. Let's do it. So let's get to, just so people get to know you a little bit better, some of the personal things, apart from these people already know everything about you that they never did. They've, um, heard, they've heard it all. They've heard a lot. They probably haven't heard it all, but they've heard a lot. All right. And uh, so you were, um, as in your personal life, you were raised in Israel, and your dad was a messianic uh, Pastor. Now, for those of you or people who are watching don't know what that means, a Jewish person becomes a believer in Yeshua. So this would have been in the 1960s. That would have been tough, 1970s? Well, 1970s. 1970s. That's when we came over the okay. first time. Um, I was actually, the whole story started off not far from here, well, not far from here, San Diego. I was born in San Diego, naval base. Um, but for all kinds of reasons, my parents decided that they wanted to spread the word. They thought they were going to go to Africa, you know, be missionaries in Africa, but ended up actually heading out to Israel uh, to be part of the small Messianic congregation, small Messianic movement that was going on or, or just coming together back then. So I was, I think, four, o'clock, four, four years old the first time when we came over. And uh, actually, I've been in Israel ever since. Yeah. So you're four years old. You went to school in, in Israel. You were the lone Christian Oh, class. yeah. What was that like? Well, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, Christianity has a very bad rep, uh, reputation among the Jewish people. And I could give you a whole list of the reasons why. 
Um, so when the neighborhood would find out that we are the local Christians, uh, our life became a little bit more complicated. Um, me and Jonathan, brothers, David, Jonathan, Nathan, and Joe, and in some cases learned how to run very, very fast. And children know how to be cruel when they want to. And children, how do you say, reverberate what they grow up on, what they've learned, what they've heard. So there were actually history lessons when I knew that I had to be the first one out of the door because when you learn about what Christians did to Jews over the ages, I still remember sitting in the classroom and the kids going to me, we're looking at you. Yeah. So I was the first one out the door, running quickly. So you look at the history of the church. You have the Crusades. They did not go well for those who are Jewish. No, that's, that's a bad word in Israel. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of Americans understand that, but it is. Well, the Crusaders took it upon themselves to, how do you say, take the Holy Land, to, to release the Holy Land from the hands of the infidels. Most people believe that the infidels are the Arabs and the Muslims, and that was the major part. But the infidels were also the Jews. And 30,000 Jews were massacred in Jerusalem when the Crusaders took Jerusalem. So we don't see the Crusades as a very positive thing. Yeah. Yeah, and an, uh, another thing that I, I don't think, especially in America, that we get is that a lot of church history, church fathers, writings of church fathers were very anti-Semitic too, all the way back to prior to when, prior to John the, uh, John the Apostle dying, before he died, you already had anti-Semitism reaching up in the church through the church fathers. And then you follow that throughout the history of the church. And, and now, uh, un unfortunately, it's not just the Catholic Church that was so affected by it over the centuries, but now it's even within the Protestant Church. So you were there, you're, you're raised in a Christian home, your dad's a pastor, but now there are more Messianic Jews in Israel. Well, the, the Messianic movement in Israel is growing. It's a lot bigger than it was back then. We were a few families it is growing, and it, it is changing, I think, drastically. There's some amazing work being done in Israel right now. And, and young people are starting to connect to their roots. Uh, but I will say that the Messianic movement in Israel is very small. And um, hopefully it will grow larger as we go. And um, I will say also something else, and since we are connecting to my background, is that Israelis on the whole are starting to realize that Christians and Christianity doesn't come in one flavor. It comes in different flavors. It comes in fl different ways. And the historical Christianity that we all grew up on, okay, is not the same as the people that I see here sitting in front of me. And that's making a difference among the people and among the Israelis themselves. Yeah, and it's not a, for, from my observation, David, in, in being in America, it's not a large group. A segment of Christians and Christian churches that necessarily support Israel or the Jewish people being in Israel. Do you sense that? Well, we sense that there is a, how do you say, a fading away of support for Israel uh, from some of the Christian communities. But before I finish this, I just want to add one more piece. And since there are people who were here in Israel, and at least some of you, I hope, are planning on coming to Israel. Um, one of the things that happens when you come to Israel is that you show the Israelis, the Jewish people, okay, a different kind of Christian. 
and you are part, the people who do, support from here, and the people who come there and support are part of the people who actually show the Jewish people, and, and, and particularly the Israelis, that not all of the Christians are the same, and some of the Christians actually love us. And I'm trying to say, if you want a reason to go to Israel, besides all the rest of the reasons, you can take that as part of a role that you can take on, show the Jewish people that Christianity isn't what they always thought it was. And that's just one more thing. Amen. Amen. Um, along these lines of what we're talking about, we have the dynamic of Christian-Palestinianism, Christ at the checkpoint, which I don't think a lot of you know what that is. It's a, it's a, it's a ministry that is basically supporting of the BDS movement, boycott, divest, sanction. It's, uh, it teaches, the whole subject teaches, that Jesus was a Palestinian. And I know you know that. You know, we talked a little bit about this the other day. And do you want to comment on any of these things? Christ and Checkpoint, Christian Palestinianism, Jesus uh, being How long do we have? Uh, <laughs> I, have, I want to get to the Temple Mount tonight. I want to get to what's going on the northern border and some of those things too. But, but go that, for it because I think it's, it, there's a real need to know the truth. And unfortunately, these three subjects have affected the church in America. Well, let, let's, let's lower it down a little bit and start from the beginning. Um, those of you who were here today realize that the connection between the chosen people, the promised land, okay, is a connection that is still in place. But there's a growing amount of Christians who are trying to disassociate and disconnect that connection, saying they're not the chosen people, that's not the promised land, and if you disassociate the Jews from the land, okay, then the people who live there after we were exiled and were put in place think that they have some kind of ownership over the land. And again, in a nutshell, I'm talking about the whole idea. Again, when the Jews started coming back to, the whole land, home, to our homeland, we were willing to compromise, but the other side has never been willing to compromise. And that's the basis of the whole argument. If you believe that the Jews are in their homeland, then we're defending our homeland. If you do not believe that, then it's a whole different story, and there's a lot of people who accept the other side of that argument. And in order to fight against the Jews, they try to disassociate okay, the Jews from their land and from the promise. And a growing movement among churches and among people all over the Western world is saying the Jews have no rights here, they have no part here, and if they are here, they're only colonialists, I think we'll probably use the word. And a growing number of them are trying to delegitimize Israel as a nation, and particularly Israel's military who is up front and defending the nation from harm. One of those arguments, or one of those organizations, is an organization called Christ in the Checkpoint, who is actually trying to falsify spin away and, and, and exert a picture of the Jews as being these crazy, monster, imperialistic, militaristic uh, people who instead of defending their population are actually out to get the Palestinians. Um, here's the part that I have to put on the table here. I am a major in the IDF. I am an Israeli soldier and there is no more moral army there's no military organization that looks out for civilian population more than the Israeli IDF. 
That is unequivocal. And again, when we see people falsifying, diversifying, and moving the truth in a different direction, we smell more than just ignorance. We smell misinformation and in some cases downright anti-Semitism. And that's part of what we're dealing with today. And that's part of the reason that I'm here today. Yeah. In fact, uh, what, what I've read over the past few years, you go back to the la latest Gaza war, you have um, mortars being launched from places where kids, a school. Rockets. Right? Yeah, the, the rockets launched from there because they know that the IDF is not going to fire a missile into that place where they know that there's kids there. Uh, there there's warnings ahead of time um, that this particular area is going to be bombed in order to make sure the families could be safe. I mean, and with jihadists being treated in Israeli hospitals, which is really remarkable to me, you take your enemy who tries to kill you. So I hear these things, I read them, and I don't know of another another army that would do something like that, warn their, you know, the, well, the civilians. Again, this is a battle that's being fought in a different realm. Um, for lack of a better word, this is an imagery battle. And you guys know as much as we do in our battle that <clears throat> lately the imagery becomes more important than the reality. Okay? The picture becomes more important than what it is. The, 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 the Facebook like is, becomes the reason for everything. And in this battle, the imagery plays a much more um, heavier role than what the reality is. I know the reality, but the thing is, people portray Israel, Israeli soldiers, as these bloodthirsty, crazy people. And our enemies know how to manipulate and maneuver and use this tendency to imagery because they become specialized in imagery much more than reality. A classic example would be hiding behind their civilian populations and all kinds of different versions. I'm a soldier. I've been a soldier. I've been a warrior all my life. My role has always to be to stand between the enemy and my civilian population. The enemy does it the other way around. Okay? They stand behind their civilian population and they say to me in battle, shoot at me, shoot at me. I mean, fine. I mean, you know, let's do this. And they will fire at me from among their civilian population, even physically. I mean, I'm standing in a demonstration in downtown Ramallah one day. It's a peaceful demonstration. They're only throwing stones. Okay? And the CNN is there. The BBC is there. Everybody's actually arrayed around there. Okay? And we're in gear and, you know, and it is, I mean, it's not a war zone. And all of a sudden, the shot rings out, and one of my soldiers falls down. Now, here's the thing. Theoretically, this is a completely different kind of demonstration the minute somebody's using a firearm. Okay? But I, I see it. It's, it's funny. I see on the right side, I see the cameras tensing. I see the reporters getting ready because they're waiting for what? They're waiting for me to fire back. And what's going to be on CNN the next morning? Israeli soldiers parrying at a peaceful demonstration. That is the way the war is being fought. That's called spinology. I mean, it's being spun this way and it's being spun this way. I need you to know the difference. I need you to know what's going on. And I need you to know how to decipher when it's truth and when it's false. Because this war is being fought on that level. And the only way to fight back is by bringing the truth and putting it out in front. And basically, that's what we're here doing tonight.
spinology, I love that word, but so true, even with the claim by so many now that Jesus was a Palestinian. Here's a classic spinology. Did you know that Jesus was a Palestinian shaheed? As in a martyr. Okay, here's how you spin it around. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Where's Bethlehem today? In Palestine. It's under the Palestinian authority. So Jesus was a Palestinian. You guys following how this works? Okay, Jesus was killed by the government. That means he is a martyr that was killed by the government. Put two and two together, Jesus is a Palestinian martyr. That's spinology. That's how you take the truth, basically. Okay? Bethlehem was never Palestine. The word Palestine was not invented until 150 years after Jesus actually was crucified. But again, what does it matter what the truth is? What matters is the way we can present it and the way it is presented in many cases is in order to paint a picture in a certain direction. There's an agenda behind all of this. And I need you to understand that. And I need you to realize that. And I need you to help fight in the battle against the imagery that is moving everything in the wrong direction. Amen. Uh, one little side note along those lines is in most of your Bibles, I would guess about 95% of the Bibles that are in here right now, that in the back, if you go to your Bible maps, it'll give you the land of Jesus during the time of Jesus. It'll say Palestine in the time of Jesus. The name Palestine didn't exist until I believe it was 135 A.D. with Hadrian. With Hadrian. At that time. It didn't even exist yet. Your Bibles will have that. You can check them out. You don't believe me? Check it out right now. You can look there. I give you the freedom. Look at your Bible maps. They'll see. So while they're looking at their Bible maps, they're going to find out that it actually says that Palestine in the time of Jesus. I want to move to another subject, the Temple Mount. Mm -hmm. And then I want to get into the Vatican and some, some engaging relationships that are taking place with some rabbinic councils in the Vatican, which always has me concerned. But to the Temple Mount... You want to talk about all the Balagan. I want to talk about all, all the Balagan. <laughs> See, they're laughing. They know what that they means. Know. How many of you know what Balagan means? There you go. So, so, so we're going we're to lay the whole Balagan out here on the table, get, aren't we? We're going to get the... For those of you who don't know what Balagan means, it's a... Mix up, mess up, everything, <laughs> that, goes, everything that doesn't go according to plan. It is a mess. So I want to read this passage, and then we're going to talk about the Temple Mount. And then we're going to go to the northern part of Israel. We're going to go to the Vatican. We're going to do a little trip here. Let's go. But this is what Isaiah chapter 46, verse 8 through 13 says. Remember this and show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. Declaring the end from the beginning. So all the way back. God says, I've declared how it's going to end. I've declared it from the beginning. So you can read the prophetic word of how things are going to develop and where everything is going, right? God tells us that. I've declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. In other words, God says, I'm going to do it. I've said it. I am going to do it. It's going to happen exactly as I said. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God is saying, listen, I said it. It is going to happen exactly as I've said it's going to happen. Then he says, listen to me, you stubborn-hearted or stiff-necked. 
who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So you look at all of the prophetic word. God is saying, this is what's going to happen. I will rule and reign from Zion. I will be in Israel. I will be worshipped there. It's going to come to pass exactly as I said it will. So when I look at that, I look at some of the prophetic things. My mind goes to the what I would call the bullseye. I'd say it's the Temple Mount. You're in Jerusalem. You know it really well. You see the different thought processes that are there. But there's definitely a group of people who are Jewish religious people that want to build the next temple. Um, and there's people who don't want to build it. But it is there's such a dynamic on the Temple Mount. You have the Islamic regimes. You have some of those who are pressing to build the Temple Mount. I know the day is coming that there will be a temple that's going to be built there, I believe, on the Temple Mount. Um, what say you to all of to these things? Well, um, let's start off with the beginning. You see the picture behind me? I do. And you're looking at the Western Wall. The Western Wall is the Western Wall, not of the temple, but of a retaining wall that Herod the Great, okay, built around Mount Moriah when he placed the temple inside. You can see the Golden Dome behind me. It's really nice to have a picture right here. I mean, it look is. at this. Yeah, you can check it out. You can see the Golden Dome behind me. Okay. At the time of Jesus, there was a temple there that was built by Zorbavel and renovated by Herod the Great that was two and a half times higher than the Golden Dome that you see. I mean, from the vantage point of the picture that's being taken here, it would have been two and a half. It must have been magnificent. The temple was destroyed by the Romans. The soul and the spirit of the people was torn out of the temple, but the Temple Mount was not destroyed. The platform still exists. And Jews have been coming to that platform for the last 2,000 years and remembering the temple was destroyed. that was destroyed. We do not go on to the temple platform traditionally because we thought down through the years that the temple mount was so holy that we were not clean enough and not able enough to go on. So the Jews would come to the closest point to the temple that they could. They would touch the wall and they would remember the temple that was destroyed. That piece of wall that you see behind me is the closest point. That's the western wall of the temple platform. But because that's the closest place that they could come to touch the wall and remember, they would cry. That's why that part of the western wall is called the Wailing Wall. What I'm trying to say is that's in our soul. We are connected to the temple. We are connected to the Temple Mount. Which is why when the Arabs took control of the area, much, much later, we're talking about 690, 700 AD, they also decided that they were going to try to connect the Temple to their religion. So they find this passage in Surah 17 of the Quran that says that Muhammad came to visit the Temple platform at some point, And lo and behold, that's turned the Temple platform in Jerusalem, where the Temples used to stand, to the third holiest site for Muslims. But the thing is now... The temple, is, the temple Mount is in control of Israel. And the Arabs are using that as the main clash point between Arabs and Westerners. So when an Arab leader, a Muslim leader, wants to stand up and say to his people, yeah, we've got to be careful. The Jews are taking over our holy places. The Western world is encroaching on our world. Okay, they use the Temple Mount and the holiness of the Temple Mount as the main instigator. And today they're even doing something else. They're re erasing the Temple from the Temple Mount, 
which is ludicrous. But you hear the United Nations, which is a democratic organization where people get to vote what they think. And the United Nations actually said the Temple Mount is a holy site for the Muslims and doesn't even mention the fact that there was a temple there. They actually don't call it the Temple Mount. They call them the Haram el-Sharif, which is the Arab name for it. And they disassociate the Jewish temple from the Temple Mount. Again, this is another case of imagery superimposing itself on reality. But that's just the beginning of the story because there are Jews today that believe that we shouldn't allow the Arabs control of the Temple Mount and we should assert our sovereignty, our national sovereignty and our religious sovereignty over the Temple Mount. So they're planning on rebuilding the Third Temple. They're planning on going up and they're trying to go up as much as possible and show their presence on the Temple Mount. The Arabs are saying, no, this is ours. We tell you what to do. We control it. By the way, they control it. They actually tell us how to dress. They tell us what to do. And even if you go up on the Temple Mount and you close your eyes and try to pray, the police will escort you off the Temple Mount because that's against what is agreed with the Muslim Arabs. That's the situation on the Temple Mount. And I'm going to say this, okay? I specialize in past and present. You specialize in prophecy. But the pressure is rising. And anybody who's been with Israel, to Israel and everybody who's climbed up on the Temple Mount can feel that pressure on the Temple Mount, and it's only a matter of time. Yeah, there's definitely pressure there. And, and uh, in, prior to 1967, I don't recall Muslims having much of an interest at all in, in the Temple Mount. Um, but they certainly, it's, it seems like after Jerusalem was captured by the Jews, then the Muslims really became much more interested in the Temple Mount. Again, it's all political. I mean, the Temple Mount, even to the Muslims, wasn't as important. It was, it was you know, the whole country wasn't important. But it was a corner of, of the empire. Nobody actually took it seriously until the Jews came. Now we have a wedge. We have a way to wage battle against the Jews, and we're going to use the, the holiness of the Temple Mount. But again, it never was. I mean, the Muslims didn't even believe it. And now, again, they're trying to say there never was a temple there. It was always a, how do you say, a uh, Muslim site. And now there's even a movement to disassociate the Holy Land from the chosen people. For instance, I've heard uh, Muslims say, you know, there never was a Jewish people here. I mean, all of the Canaanites turn into Palestinians, and that's the whole story. And, right. and boom, there goes the Bible. I mean, smack out, take it out of the middle, and everything's actually changed. But even they would appreciate the fact that, uh, by the way, Islam considers Solomon to be a prophet, to David to be a prophet. They even consider Jesus to be a prophet. But again, everything is being spun in a different direction. And again, I want to say here what I've said before and the main reason I'm here. We need your help to bring the truth to light. We need your help to know what's going on. Come to Israel, study the subject, see what's going on, because we need your help to fight in the battle that is actually taking place right now. And again, we need you to stand in the gap. 1929, there was a, uh, I believe it was a Muslim cleric, we were talking about it earlier, that wrote, what was it he wrote? It was a travel journal. He was trying to convince people to come visit Jerusalem. And who, who did he say Jerusalem belonged to? Well, he said that the Temple Mount in Jerusalem had the temple that was built by Solomon. Uh, I mean, underneath the Al-Aqsa Mosque, they call it the, the Solomon Stables. I mean, where did that come from? Again, truth and reality are being distinguished yeah. and, and spun around 
in a completely different direction. So you have a travel guide written by a Muslim cleric in 1929 that said the, the temple was on the Temple Mount, belonged to the Jews, but now all of that history is, is, is uh, ignored and hidden. Um, but with the temple, I know the temple's going to be built there again because of the books of Daniel, Second Thessalonians, Book of Revelation. I know it's going to be looking at the temple. Now, how many of you have visited Israel before? A lot of wow, people. Look at this. So you know, you, you've, you've been, how many of you have been on the Temple Mount? That's about the same amount of people. So, so you know where the Gold Dome is and everything. So with that, uh, for everybody else who hasn't been there, still you, we can give a picture because of this picture. Where do you think, I know where I think the temple will go, but uh, where do you think the placement of the temple would go? And then I have a follow-up question if you... Uh, that, well, that, uh, let's, first of all, let me decide. Okay. Um, do you know that you put three Jews in a room and you get nine different opinions? <laughs> um, what I'm trying to say is, I'm going to say what I think, but there are people who have PhDs in archaeology and, and post whatever in whatever that say this, and there are people who say that, so I'm going to be very careful to say this is what most of us believe. But the temple actually... <clears throat> sat on top of a mountain called Mount Moriah. That's what the Bible says. Mount Moriah is where David brought, bought up the threshing field and actually built the temple, actually dedicated to God. Everything that we know says that the temple did not have a floor. The floor of the temple, the Holy of Holies, was the bedrock of Mount Moriah. When Herod the Great came and renovated the temple, he built a structure on top of a piece of the bedrock of Mount Moriah sticking up. And everything that most of the scholars would agree with says that the temple was situated on that piece of stone sticking up. When the temple is destroyed by the Romans, okay, and the Arabs came around, they say, okay, we want to build an Arab monument on top of where all of these Jewish sites were. were. They actually built that golden dome that you see right there on top of a piece of rock sticking up from the bedrock. That's why that golden dome is called the Dome of the, of the Rock. Because if you walk inside, there's a piece of the original rock, which leads most of the scholars to believe that that golden dome sits exactly where the temple used to sit. That was a long explanation to a short question. Thank you. That was, that was a good explanation, too. So what would happen? What do you think would happen? Now, you gotta, now this is prophecy. What do you think would happen if the Jews, uh, the ones who want to build the temple, they'd have to move that gold dome at, at the way it looks right now if that's where the temple would go. Well, that would be a, that would be a big balagan. That would be a big balagan. How big of a balagan would it be? Well, I mean, very simple. I mean, you don't have to be a prophet to know that if anything happens to that golden dome, okay, that would be World War III. Yeah. I mean, that's not a big... Yes, it would. I mean, just simply, I mean, that would be the one thing if there's one thing that would unify the Arab Muslim world, it would be the hatred for the Jews. And the Jews touching that dome on the Temple Mount would be the one thing that would bring the Arabs from Indonesia together with the Arabs from Tur the Muslims from Turkey and, and the Iranians and the Egyptians. They would all have one common denominator and that would be to wipe Israel off the map. That would make us, push us into a place where we would be fighting with our backs to the walls. We think, we hope, we believe that the United States of America would come and would be a part of a war like this, and lo and behold, you find yourself talking about World War III. Yeah, it would not be a good situation. However, biblically, we're going to get there uh, eventually. I, I know it's going to end up there. It's going to be interesting to see how all of these things continue to develop. 
We live in a world right now that's kind of a polygon. Yes. And the Bible describes it, the last days as being perilous times. So I would say big, big balagon in that sense. Now I want to move on from one balagon to another one. So tell me your thoughts on this. This is from the Jerusalem Post today. Uh, Jewish leadership and the Vatican discuss collaboration on common interests. And what this article is, David, and for everybody else, this article is talking about uh, some of the problems of anti-Semitism in Europe and the problems that Christians are facing, both Jews and Christians facing with persecution from the Islamic world. So you have the Rabbinic Council from Jerusalem going to Europe. You have the European Rabbinic Council and a Rabbinic Council from America converging to attempt to meet with the Pope to be able to figure out how can we link arms in a, in a, peaceful, in a peaceful move forward um, under the un, under the the thought of persecution. Okay, now my thoughts. I'm going to turn it over to you. I look at the Bible. For me, this looks like a very bad thing. Um, I know that in the last days, there's going to be a false prophet, and I know that there's going to be a global movement for global economy, global politics, global religion. I look at this and I think, okay. I also know that there's going to be Jewish leadership that are going to enter into a covenant with who the Bible describes as the Antichrist. Isaiah warns it's a time of the Jewish leadership in Israel, Jerusalem specifically, that enter into an agreement to avoid the scourge that is coming upon them. But the agreement isn't going to work. We know how it works out with the book of Daniel. So I see this, but anytime I see the Vatican working in unison with Jews in Israel, because they're trying to find a way to avoid a scourge, I get very concerned. So I look at that, and there's a lot of history. I was raised Catholic, um, and, and I understand. I'm not saying all, Catholic, all, all Catholics are bad people. It's not what I'm saying. But I look at this coming from the top, and I say, this is, a, this is not good. I'm going to go Jewish on you. I mean, and, and, and I'm going to say, and again, I, I'm sorry to core. To, to connect you with all of Christianity. I mean, I'm sorry to lump all of Christianity together. Um, historically, that's been the situation. And, and I know that I'm speaking to a group of people who are a little differently, completely different. But let's say, for the sake of this argument, I'm a Jew talking to the head of the Christian church. And I'm saying, are you kidding? After 2,000 years of persecuting us, burning us at the stake, creating the Inquisition to, to persecute Jews after blaming us for killing Christ, killing hundreds of thousands of us in the name of Christianity. After all of this, after watching six million Jews burn in the Holocaust and the Pope knew what was going on and not saying a word, after all of this, you want our cooperation? Because you see persecution against you? Because you're afraid of the Muslims all of a sudden? I mean, where have you been for 2,000 years? I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help that. But there, there's this sense of, of wrong that, that kind of, per, kind of yeah. seeps into this. And we as Jews who have suffered all of this all of these years say, oh, wow, huh, good morning? I mean, all of a sudden you see Muslims on your doorstep and you say, oh, why can't we now cooperate with the Jews? The Jews are the only ones who know how to deal with this. I mean... Something is critically wrong, both in what happened over the 2,000 years and this sense of, okay, let's kind of 
okay, we're friends now. I mean, let's sit around the campfire and say kumbaya. I mean, okay, something is wrong in this, and, and it smacks, again, of, of this disassociation with reality. Yeah. I, that, and that's what I see in it. And I know prophetically how this, which direction this is eventually going to go. So I'm alarmed by it. You're alarmed as a Jewish person. I'm alarmed as somebody who studies Bible prophecy, which I'm also alarmed about this too, is that uh, with, with um, Bush, there was the attempt to, it was a land for peace, uh, Clinton, land for peace, Oslo Peace Accords, uh, Barack Obama, land for peace, uh, John Kerry. Um, and then we have uh, current administration with Donald Trump, Jared Kushner's Jewish, uh, a lot of Trump's administration is. However, I still see basically the same agreement coming about land for peace, which is a divide Jerusalem for this peaceful agreement that everybody's going to be able to get along. So I, I look at it, and, and, and I'm, I'm bothered by it. I'm not asking you to comment on Trump or, or any of the presidents of the United States. <laughs> that was close. But, <laughs> but I'm alarmed by it because uh, Joel, chapter 3, God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to judge the nation that divides my land. The peep nations, plural, that divide my land. I know the Antichrist, Daniel chapter 11, verse 39, is going to be the one who's able to confirm the covenant of land for peace, to divide the land. So I look at it, and I'm thinking, wow. You know, so, so I see a, this, this stuff going on between the Vatican and some of the rebellious <coughs> councils. Let's get along. And this, this thought of land for peace. What are your thoughts on just the land divisions? Because some Israelis are for it. And this land division, I mean the one specifically about Jerusalem. This, this surprisingly, is an easy one. And again, I'm going to leave you to the prophecy and what's going to happen in the future. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happened in the past and what's happening now. And the whole idea of land for peace is not a new one. Anybody who was in the church today knows that in 1947, we tried to do the land for peace thing. Okay, remember there was a partition plan. We get part of it, they get part of it. Let's, you know, sing together and everything's going to be fine. And the Arabs said, no. After 1967, Israel conquers the West Bank and conquers the Sinai, okay? And uh, we come back to the Arabs and we say, okay, I mean, let's reach compromise. And again, the Arabs said three no's, you know, no compromise, no negotiation, no peace, okay? After the Oslo Accords, part of the Oslo Accords, we're supposed to lead to some kind of, kind of division of the country. This goes one way, this goes one way, and we were supposed to get peace, but we didn't get peace. And uh, I think it was 1998, okay, the Israelis sat down with uh, Ehud Barak and offered 95 or 98 percent of the West Bank in order, order to get peace. And what did the Arabs say? No negotiation, no compromise, no peace. And I, that's been happening again and again. So whether I understand the prophecy, I'm trying to say, we've tried, yeah. and it hasn't worked. And I don't know if, when, and how it's going to work. Though, again, we hear that coming up again. Um, I will say this carefully. You have a president who is considered the ultimate businessman. And this is the ultimate business deal. Okay? And there is a, a, a stressing in your administration to push in that direction. And we're seeing it. I'm not sure what's going to end up with that. 
But like you understand, we are Israelis. We've been there. We've done that. We are very, very afraid. And again, here's part of where I need your help. I need you guys to stand beside Israel and understand that we are going... I mean, the, 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 the war is being fought today not in the streets of Ramallah and not in the Sinai Peninsula. The war is being fought literally in the hallways of the administration. And whether you like it or not, this is a democratic nation. You have a role to play in that role, and that's why we're here. Yeah. And, and speaking of, I want to ask you this. Um, I've read a lot of biographies about uh, uh, Holocaust survivors. And a question that comes up repeatedly in books I read is, will, not will there, but can there be another Holocaust? The answer is usually yes. Now, not necessarily with a country like Germany, but when I look at anti-Semitism, I look at pressure for Israeli Jews to conform to whatever plan comes their way, uh, as I look at the threat of attacks against Israel. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm very concerned about whether or not there would be another Holocaust, maybe taken on a different form. Well, if you think you're concerned, think about us. We're Jewish. Okay? I'd be a lot more concerned if I was Jewish. Yeah, I mean, and, and living there. Yeah. I mean, do you know that every house in Israel has a bomb shelter? Every house in Israel has a fortified, reinforced, structured, metal door bomb shelter uh, because we take those threats very, very seriously. I said today at church, I mean, we're Jewish, you know our history, okay? And, and you know, people who say they want to kill us uh, is not something new. I mean, we're not surprised, okay? We have uh, holidays that celebrate people who want to kill us on a regular basis, okay? Today, the, you know, the classic joke. Yeah. Okay, what's a Jewish holiday? Okay, the basic idea behind all the Jewish holidays is they tried to kill us, they didn't kill us, let's eat. <laughs> now, it is a joke, but it's only half a joke because imagine growing up in that kind of environment. So when the Iranians say we want nuclear weapons and the next sentence is Israel should be wiped off the map, I mean, we don't need another Iranian holiday. Okay, when our enemies say Israel should be wiped off the map, we take that seriously. But in order to go back to your question, I want to say this. If Israel had been in existence in 1935, the Holocaust would not have happened. I don't know how or why, okay? But the state of Israel changes the way the Jewish people are represented in the world. Israel will never let another Holocaust happen in that way. Ugh. Okay, after saying that, yes. That missile silo in Iran is potentially a holocaust. And yes, Israel takes that very, very seriously. And yes, we have the ability, capability, willingness to solve that problem. No, we did not have the backing of the United States of America in order to do that. That's why the situation is still a threat. Okay, so again, I'm not going to go into all the politics, but we as Israelis take that threat very, very seriously. Okay, so I'm not sure it could happen, but yes, I mean, read the book. I mean, Joel Rosenberg talks about it. A nuclear uh, weapon uh, exploding over the skies of Tel Aviv would completely wipe out the state of Israel as we know it. It would be another Holocaust, and we are very, very worried about that. And I know biblically that 
Israel will not be wiped off the map. Um, God will never uproot them again. That's what the Bible, Amos, prophesied. They will not be uprooted. The Lord will have his people to return to. So, but the fear and the reality of it is there because at the same time, I also understand this, that Israel is going to be isolated. The day is coming when America will not support Israel. I, well, we I see know that it. happening right yeah, now. I, I know it's coming. So we they, see they it coming. Have, they won't have any support from any, any country in the world. All the countries, all the nations of the world will be against Israel. But I believe also spiritually the reason is because God wants to get the glory for saving his people. But you live with a very real enemy on the northern side. It's one way to read my Bible and okay, this is good, how it's going to turn out. That's another way when you're, another dynamic when you're going through it. So you have Iran. Iran has built or is building a road, I believe it's from Iran, all the way across Syria and Lebanon to the Mediterranean. Did they finish that road yet? Well, they're, they're creating the gaps, the, 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 okay. the bridgeheads, okay? Whether the road, the road is there. The question is the connection. And uh, let's put it this way. We're seeing... We're seeing two things happening. We're seeing our enemies stick together. And if you look into what's going on in Syria today, um, the Syrian regime has lost control of what's going on. So it pulls in the pro-Iranian uh, organization called the Hezbollah to help them out. Um, the Hezbollah can't really pull off the job, so they're getting uh, funding and, and arms from the Iranians directly. Okay, some of the Iranian generals are literally running the war in Syria. And just to make it more of a balagan, the Russians are there giving them all air support. Okay, so our enemies are grouping together while we're speaking, as we're speaking. And the feeling that I'm getting, and again, one of the reasons I'm here is where our allies, our friends, are moving away. And if we're looking at this, the enemies coming together. By the way, not only our enemies, listen. Our main enemy, our biggest enemy is the Iranians, okay? Why am I not surprised that they're having cocktail parties now that actually invite the Iranians from one side and the North Koreans from the other side? North Korea and Iran are now in cahoots, putting together, you know, all the, all, everything that they can. It's, it's turning out that our enemies are your enemies, okay? And again, we're seeing the enemies come together and the allies moving away. And we need your help on that one. Um, also, David is, uh, we know from Ezekiel 38 and 39, there is a war that's going to come on the mountains of Israel. It describes all the nations that are currently lining up there, including Turkey, Iran, uh, uh, Russia, but you even have Hezbollah involved. So it's, it's not a good thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, can get time for one more question, right? Okay, so here we go. Ready? They might want us to go a lot longer. You can't scare me. I don't know. But let me ask you this. So I'm, I'm looking at the dynamic. I would love to come back to the northern part of Israel in just a minute. Okay. I look at America, though. Um, you look from the outside, you're looking at America from a different perspective. I look at it from a pastoral perspective, and I'm somewhat concerned because I see Book of Revelation, the Church of Laodicea, that's lukewarm, it's not hot, it's not cold. They say, well, we've got money, we've got everything we need, and the Lord says, you're, you're naked, you're miserable, you're wretched, you're wretched, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm afraid that in America we've become very lukewarm, um, and, and we don't really see it. And you, you, 
you said something when we were in Israel. You repeated it again today when we were in my office. And it was about a, a time you went to a Denver Bronco game. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Do you mind sharing that? <laughs> I, this was, it, I think it helps the church to understand how you see things. Um, because I think that we've been cooked, we're getting cooked in the frog's kettle here, where the water's been getting warmer and warmer and warmer. Getting that, that, that's an interesting one. Okay, again, I, I'm from there. I haven't been back to the States for years, so I was back in the States last year and went to see a preseason game in, in Mile High Stadium. And, I mean, I love football. I think I'm one of the only Israelis who know all the roles of American football. <laughs> okay, I think, I don't know. Unless you changed something in the last week, I don't know. <laughs> But I, I'm watching the Denver Broncos game, and again, I, 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 I'm connected enough to American culture, you know, to connect between football and cheerleading. And the cheerleaders come out on the, on the field, and I was amazed. I mean, what they were wearing, or what they weren't, well, what they were wearing, okay? And, and not only the, 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 the way they were dressed, but the movements were much more expressive than I remember, you know, with the pom-poms as a kid in, in uh, way back. And I'm saying to myself, man, is this is really happening? So I'm sitting with a couple of, well, you know, with the pastor and his wife, and, you know, and they don't really see uh, what I'm talking about. And I, I was kind of amazed. And then halftime comes, and, uh, you know, there's all the, the whole thing. And they bring on cheerleading girls from cheerleading schools, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. And I see nine-year-old girls wearing the same outfits as the adult women, making the same movements. And I'm saying, do you really want to teach a nine-year-old girl to move like that? And I was amazed that nobody saw it. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm landing in from outside. I don't know who I am or what I am. Okay, But something is happening in the United States. Values are being eroded. Ideas are being changed. Uh, the basic... Okay, and we say in Israel, the lettuce in the salad, okay, which is the base, okay, somebody's taking the lettuce away and, and putting in a different kind of salad. And I think to a certain extent you are facing a serious problem of this erosion of, again, I'm, I'm, I study history, I study the past, this Judeo-Christian creed, which was the basis of the United States of America, is now slowly, slowly being eroded. And... Again, there's two levels to this, you and the United States and what's going on in the United States. And I'm American enough to feel a fear for this. But this is also part of the erosion, okay, of the American support of the state of Israel. Because the support of the state of Israel comes from that same place. Okay? And what I'm trying to say is I need you to help us stop that erosion for your reasons and for our reasons. And that's why we're here. Amen. David, thank you very much for coming tonight and coming today and coming this week. Spent a lot of time with us. One final thing. Let me go back to the northern part. I see all the chess pieces, pieces coming together for this battle that's going to come. Russia, Gog, Magog, uh, the, the whole thing. Turkey, uh, you have Hezbollah. I've read reports. I've talked to people in Israel. The, there's tunnels. They can hear people tunneling like Hezbollah in the north, Hamas in the south, tunneling underneath their home in the kibbutzes. Um, well, we know it's coming, yes. Yeah, so those things are real. It is coming. Um, we can pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I know the ultimate peace that's going to come is when the Lord comes and he rules and reigns from Jerusalem. 
in the meantime, that's God's prayer request to us, Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But I see this. Uh, is there, uh, I understand your perspective, but Jews in America have a, seem to have just a different perspective on, on Israel than what you do, or even what I do, when, when I read everything that's really happening. And they, they don't, there, there's, a dis, there's, there's some kind of a disconnect. Well, with, the Jews in America, I think, are in a different place. And again, um, I'll give you a little bit of the statistics, okay? Most of the Jews down through the ages have assimilated into the societies where they are living. And I think the vast majority of the Jews are assimilating into their society and becoming... America, in many cases, uh, Jewish communities are connecting to the left-hand side of the political map for reasons of Jews being a minority. I think I've explained this once to somebody that if you're a minority and you are fearful, and if you know the history of the Jewish people, you would basically connect to the more liberal side of the map and not to the more conservative side. Jews still are fearful, which is very interesting because in Israel people go to the right side of the political map and not to the left side of the political map. But again, just to give you an understanding, I think Jews do not see and do not understand, just like many in the United States, okay, where the main danger lies in what we're talking about. And they are falling for the imagery and they are falling for the falsification and they are falling for the smokescreen that is being spread all over. And again, what we're trying to do is at least blow away some of that smoke screen in order to see what's underneath. There's, there's Bible truth. Um, God, is, God is the original Zionist. Amen. By the way, we hear a lot of talk about Zionism and, and, uh, and uh, God is the original Zionist. I consider myself a Christian Zionist, not to be confused with the Christian science. Uh, what's, that, what's that religion? <laughs> Christian scientist, which is something entirely different altogether. There are Christians who are scientists. But uh, anyways, this is going to get all mixed up on the internet. Um, but uh, Big Balagan. <laughs> big, that's a big Balagan. So anyways, here's, here's what God does tell us. It, with the passage we opened up with, Isaiah chapter 46, I declare the end from the beginning. As we put all of these things together, we know this, that the Lord is coming again, but He came the first time. And He came the first time and fulfilled every one of His prophecies of His first coming so that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into this world to condemn the world, but that through Him you would be saved. Every prophecy of Jesus in His first coming has come to pass, including being born in Bethlehem, and, and all of the prophecies concerning Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know that when you die you're going to go to heaven, listen, we have a prayer team that's going to be up here in just a minute when we close out with worship. They want to pray for you, they want to pray with you, tell you what it means to be forgiven of your sin. And also, as we look at the prophetic things taking place in Israel, Israel is the, it is the target of all of the last day's events. And everything is happening exactly as the Bible said it would. The Bible is 100% true. And it's just proof that Jesus does forgive us of our sins if we ask and repent of our sins. So with that, David, I want to thank you very much for coming out and joining thank us. Thank you all for having me. It was great having you.